Um, let's get right into this. We're in the book of Job, chapter 42. Praise God, book of Job, chapter 42. And uh, we're going to begin at verse number 7. Book of Job, 42 and verse number 7. I wanted to teach a whole lot more today, but uh, I just... Uh, I just really didn't feel to press past this particular point. I may come back to this later on. I may not. Uh, but uh, I, think, I think this will help us tonight. All right. Book of Job chapter 42 and verse number 7. We're towards the end of the book. Somebody say amen when you got it. Amen. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said unto Eliphaz, the Temanite, my wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for you have not spoken of me the thing that is right. Everyone say right. right. One translation, several translations actually use the word accurate. You have not spoken the thing that is accurate as my servant Job has. As my servant Job has. I want to talk to you just for a few minutes this evening on this subject, the importance of saying the right thing during a trial, the importance of saying the right things during a trial. Jesus, I praise you and I thank you for your word. Your word is powerful. It is anointed. And I pray, God, that you would talk to our hearts tonight and help us to improve the way we speak, even in the hard times, Lord. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You know, it's rather interesting how profound, poetic, beautiful, and sobering the book of Job is. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people, unless they are on a yearly Bible reading uh, schedule, or they are going through hardships in their life, don't typically read Job too often. And then if they do read it, uh, they, they sometimes uh, are overwhelmed, perhaps by the volume and the size of the book. Believe it or not, the book of Job, and the reason I am careful with it, is because it is one of the more sobering books of the Bible. And it has some very big questions uh, that, that have startled and shook uh, and even comforted uh, people throughout the centuries. It doesn't seem like the book of Job gets read as much now as it used to. But there were times in history when the mortality rates of humans were rather low. People were dying quickly. And um, we enjoy now an average lifespan of about 70 to 80. But when people were only living to about 40 and 50, they were reading the book of Job a lot. And uh, it, was, it was often read in churches. Today, it is not read so much from. Um, but today, I want to talk to you about uh, some key components that are not only highlighted in the book of Job, but that I think will help us. After the trial in Job's life, towards the very end, which is the chapter that we just read about or we're reading in tonight, Job's life, uh, God commends Job uh, for speaking the things that are right or that are accurate. Now, there are many wrong and inaccurate things that we can all say when we're going through trials. Many times, a statement like that will cause church people, 
church people's thoughts to race towards phrases or words that Christians should never say. Um, but I think that's actually rather easy. I think we all know that there's just some things we should never say, no matter how bad things are. I think there's some certain words we just shouldn't even use after we get saved, period. But that's not really, uh, that's, that's just entry level stuff. Uh, I want to talk to you about something a little bit more complicated than that. The fact is, humans have learned how to use their speech, even polite speech, even church talk, and even Christian talk, amen, to mask our pain and to protest unsolicited sympathies. Some people feel that it is wrong or a form of complaining to express that they are broken and under a heavy burden. At this point, the many common and often used phrases are not important. And trust me, I've heard a lot of them. I've witnessed people who go through, in some cases, extreme tragedies. And you ask them how they're doing and they always tell you fine. And they probably have their good reasons and some don't have good reasons for doing that. But what is important right now is for us to break down the idea that it is wrong for you to actually confess your hurt and your pain to someone else. If you are going through something, it is okay to talk to somebody about that. If you are crushed, if you are broken, if you are weeping, if you do not know what to do, if you are confused, if somebody that you love has died, if you're broke, whatever your case is, it is okay to tactfully express your feelings to somebody. It is okay to have somebody in the church that you confide in and that you trust and to tell them exactly how you feel. Amen. Proverbs 17 and 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother, everyone say a brother, and a brother is born for adversity. A brother, a sister in church, amen, is born for these moments. Amen. When you are going through the worst times in your life, the scripture says that that's what God gave brothers and sisters in the church for. That's what your community, your faith community is for. That's what, your, that's what the person sitting in the pew next to you is for, for times of adversity. And not just for times of adversity, but to love you at all times. We're to love each other at all times. I'm to love you when you're doing good. I'm to love you when you're doing bad. I'm to love you when you're healthy. I'm to love you when you're sick. I'm to love you when you're prospering. I'm to love, love you when you lack, amen, the bare necessities. Praise God. Amen. We are to love each other at all times. And this includes the hard times. Praise God. Amen. And there's nothing wrong with talking about how you feel when you're going through difficult and complicated times. Amen. There is without question, however, a need for all of us to learn the fine art of trial talking. Praise God. There is, there is, there is a right and a wrong way to talk when you're going through a trial. Words are powerful. Words are powerful. Amen. And if we can learn how to use our words, we can say things that not only please God, but that avoid the danger of closeted emotions. And I want to learn how to talk when I'm going through things in such a way that I'm not only confessing my faith, faith, professing my faith, glorifying God, but at the same time not becoming up, not becoming this bottled up pressure cooker. Amen. Not becoming this, this hotbed of emotion and anger and frustration. Can somebody say amen? Now, Job explores the dynamics of speech, both the speech that sounds good 
but is not good. Right. And the speech that neither sounds good or is good. This wonderful book that we know is the book of Job will go into all the areas, amen, of speech or trial talk as we'll call it. Hallelujah. Uh, some of you remember that last week we discussed how that 29 chapters of this book are minefields of words which all sound right but are wrong. So wrong that God rebukes Job's friends as we just read in the 42nd chapter for everything that they said and orders them to have Job pray for them. On the other side of the spectrum, we have somebody like Job's wife. Right. Amen. Job's wife. And I, I think a lot of times so much of our focus is on, the, on, on, on a single person in the book, Job. But I want you to stop and consider the fact that Job's wife went through a crushing trial of her own. She was, she was right there by Job's side. Amen. Uh, the Bible tells us in Job chapter 1, amen, that she watched her children die. She watched the house that she raised them in collapse. And all the substance that sustained her and her family through the years go up in flames. In chapter 2, it doesn't end. In chapter 2, she watches her husband, her confidant, the man who she loves, amen, become engulfed, amen, in disease and sickness. She can finally take it no more, amen, and she shares her feelings with Job. And this is not wrong. She is right for confiding in Job. Who else? After all, at this point, not only is it the man that she's lived so many years with, it's the man that she's been through the worst trials with. The problem is not that she chose to talk to her husband, but what she said. And unfortunately, she uses no tact and no constraint. And she says these words, curse God and die in Job chapter 2 and verse 9. And it's here that we read one of the many accurate and right things that Job said. And it's something that I really want us uh, to, to embrace tonight. There is a right way to talk even at the lowest points of your life. Job chapter 2 and 10, Job responds to his wife and he says unto her, You speak as one of the foolish woman, women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? And the Bible says this, And all this Job did not sin with his lips. At no point in your trial, at no point in my trial, do we trade in our faith for the words of the foolish. When Job heard his wife talk, he said to himself, you know what? You're talking in a way that we've never talked around here. You're saying things that we've never said in this household. You're saying you're talking in a way that's not original. Amen. With our, with our beliefs. Amen. And with our professions and confessions of faith. You're saying things. Amen. That uh, the foolish women say. Many commentators actually believe um, there was a group of tribal people that, that lived in that region. And they believe that Job is actually referring to that. Because in this particular region, these tribal people, every time that they had maladies or problems, they would throw their gods, their idols in the fire when he didn't answer their prayers and get them out of trouble. And uh, no matter how you want to look at it, Job is telling his wife, you know what? 
you're talking like foolish women. He's not calling her a fool, but what he's saying is you're talking in a way I've never heard you talk. That's not like you. I want you to know, amen, that when you're going through it, when you're crushed, when you're broken, that's not time to start talking like a sinner. That's not time to start talking like a philosopher. That's abandon all faith in God. That's not time to start talking like, like, uh, like, like somebody who's void of hope in life. Amen. No matter what, no matter how, and I know life can get serious, and so we'll talk about this in a second. And I know life, life can at sometimes even seem like, like dismal as dismal gets. And I'm not talking hypothetically here. I'm talking about real deal bone crushing pain. Amen. But even then, amen, you can lift your hands. You can praise God. You can worship God. You can say something under a whisper in a broken voice that magnifies Jesus. Hallelujah. It's never time to start talking. Amen. As, as, uh, as a fool. Amen. Uh, Psalms 14 and 1. Psalms 53 and 1. They both say this. David speaking. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I want you to know, friend, and you, this might seem like a uh, uh, a truism and perhaps maybe even a silly thing to say here in church. Amen. But it just feels good right now. I want you to know there is a God. Hallelujah. There is a God. Hallelujah. No matter how bad things are, there is a God. Amen. No matter how distant it seems or he seems, there is a God. No matter how broken or dark the times are, there is a God. Amen. And he's not some simple idol, some pagan God. He's not some funny caricature. Amen. That people have tried to make him out to be. Amen. Hallelujah. And we don't lose all confidence in God when we lose something or all things. Our confidence in God, amen, does not hinge on whether, uh, uh, on how many things we possess and how many things we lose. Amen. Uh, at the very beginning of his trial, Job uh, Job declares this. He says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. He said, blessed be the name of the Lord. He said, I'm not losing my confidence in God because I lost my car. I'm not losing my confidence in God because I lost somebody I love. I'm not losing my confidence in God because I lost every penny in the bank. I'm not losing my confidence in God because I've lost, amen, uh, 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 all these things, amen. I'm keeping my confidence in God, hallelujah. I don't throw away. I don't throw away my relationship with God <coughs> when I don't have, amen, the things I used to have. When Job was stripped of all that gave his life meaning, he held on to God who gave him life in the first place. When Job lost everything that gave his life meaning, he held on to the God who gave him life in the first place. Job believed that life and death, everyone say death, Job believed that life and death were inextricable parts of his relationship with God. I don't think, you know, all of us are going to die. I know that's not probably the word anybody came to hear tonight. That is a word. We're all going to die. And, and while we might be able to experience, and while we will experience moments of gratitude for all God has done in those last moments of our life. And, uh, and while... However it comes for any of us, let me just say this. We have to realize that a relationship with God is not just about life, but also about death. It's about both of those elements. It's about both of those elements. When we unpackage this statement carefully that Job makes to his wife in 2 and 10, we will find that Job is looking at a much bigger picture and beyond the temporal. I want you to stop and consider something. Job 7 and 3 says, 
So I have been allotted months. Everyone say months. I have been allotted months of futility and wearisome nights and have been that have been appointed to me. Job 29 and 2 says, oh, that I were as it was months ago, as in the days when God watched over me. Everyone say months. Uh, many theologians suggest that Job's trial lasted less than a year. It lasted less than a year. And two times Job says, this has been going on for months. And he even says, I used to be better a few months ago. And so we don't know if it was 11 months. It could have been one month. It could have been three months. And I don't want to minimize the reality. You know, I'll never forget uh, one time um, I was, I was, I take Hebrew classes, but this was years ago uh, with one of my first Hebrew teachers. And we were talking about the book of Job and a particular text in Job. And, and I remember as we were reading the text, I asked him, I said, do you believe that Job was a historical figure? You know, many people don't believe that the people in the Bible were actual historical figures. And so, uh, especially as you get higher into like th theology ranks and professors and uh, these people. But um, I said, do you believe that Job was a historical figure? And I'll never forget the stare he gave me from across the table. And I realized who I was talking to. I was talking to a man who probably had relatives that died in the Holocaust. I was talking to a man who probably had relatives that breathed verses out of this book before they died. And he looked at me and he said, it doesn't matter. It's true. It's true. The lessons in this book, the truths in this book, they're true. And you just ask anybody who's been through life. You just ask anybody who's held on to words from this book at the lowest points of their life and seen it comfort them and seen it walk them through things. And you'll find out just how true this book is. And, and I don't want to minimize any of the truths, amen, and the very real pains that Job went through. I want you to know just one month of losing a, lost, uh, a loved one, just one month of losing everything you own. Just one month of despair and agony will be the longest month of all your life. I don't want to minimize that. I want to be realistic. I want to be respectful of the Bible. I believe that a month like the one Job had was the longest month of all of his life. If it was a year, it was the longest year in the most deeply crushing year of all of his life. But somewhere in Job's mind, he assessed that God had been very good to him right up until that point. Somewhere in his mind, he said, man, this is one year. But woman, he's been good to us for these 50, 60 years. Man, this is one year. Amen. I don't know if I'm going to live through this. But if I do, God's been good to us a whole lot longer than he hasn't been good to us. Hallelujah. And we don't know why he's doing this. And we don't know what his purpose is. But you know what? We didn't know why he was being so good to us either. Hallelujah. We looked over our life and we said, man, he keeps on blessing me. Can, is there anybody here that you got blessed when you didn't deserve it? That you got blessed. God was good to you. You didn't know why. Amen. And that's one thing. You know, even, even after Job's trial, God never tells him, Job, this is why you went through the whooping shed. This is why you suffered all these things. But you know what God does do is he blesses him and he multiplies everything he ever owned. And God doesn't say, I'm giving. 
On top of that, God doesn't say, you know what? I'm giving you all this because you endured. And the scripture doesn't say that that's why God gave him that. It's just God being unexplainably good. It's just God being ineffably good. It's just God doing things because he's good. Hallelujah. And you know what? Amen. And we're going to wrap things up here in just a second. But I want you to know that there is a goodness of God that's exclusive to bad times. There is a side to God's goodness that you won't see. Amen. On the on the tippy top of life. There's a goodness of God that shows up to the funeral. There's a goodness of God that shows up to the hospital. There's a goodness of God. Amen. That shows up to the court. Amen. There's a goodness of God that shows up to the bank when you ain't got nothing in there. Hallelujah. There's a goodness of God when children are sick. There's a goodness of God when spouses are sick. There's a goodness of God when families are being torn apart. You don't see it anywhere else. Amen. It doesn't show up anywhere else. God says, I'm good all the time and at all places. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm, you know, a lot of that, that's how the old timers figured out just how good God was. They didn't just figure that out. Amen. When things were going just the way they wanted, they figured out, you know what? There's a goodness of God in the Great Depression. There's a goodness of God. Amen. When, when our country's segregated, divided, and full of prejudices, there's a goodness of God. Hallelujah. Even during the Black Plague and the Bubonic Plague. Hallelujah. There's a goodness of God. Hallelujah. That shows up to the worst situations. God wants people to know. God wants people to know, I'm good down there too. I am the lily of the valley. Hallelujah. I am the bright and morning star. When when it's dark outside, that that little glimmer, that's me. When you're down in the valley and things seem dry and dead, that beauty springing up out of nowhere, that's me. That's God. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm telling you, there's a goodness of God that's not present during the good times. There's a goodness of God that God says, I reserve this for when my people are going through it. I reserve this blessing. I reserve this comfort. I cannot express to you. I cannot tell you, not only in my own life, but in the life of people I know personally, including some of you. I think if we were to take the time, and maybe we will one day, but I think that if we were to take the time and just really bear our hearts and not mask the pains, right? And not, and not try to pretend like everything's always been okay. And I think, I think some of us have a testimony that says, hey, you know what? There was this time, I, I'm sorry, you may not think great of me. I didn't think I was going to make it. But I was alone in my room and God... There was a time I wandered. There was a time I wavered. There was a time I lost a lot of faith. There was a time I was down to nothing. And God. And God. There was a time I was frustrated. There was a time I was crushed. There was a time I cried. And I didn't know if I'd walk through the church doors again. But God. But God. There's. I promise you this much. Everyone here with the exception of our little children. Has a testimony we don't talk about. (laughs) Of not so proud moments and not such glorious events in our life, but God was there. You don't talk about it because praise God, we may not solicit you for Sunday school again (laughs) or outreach or anything else. Praise God. But God was right there all the time. He was right there. Let's lift our hands right now. Jesus.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, I, let's just lift our hands just for a few seconds more. I just feel something in this house right now. Oh, Jesus. 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 Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I um I was I was in Bible study yesterday and uh we were talking about baby Moses. Baby Moses. And baby Moses was born in a time when they were killing babies. And uh I got to talking to Brother Robert and I said, you know, Robert, there was four people that saved Moses. The two Hebrew midwives, his mother, and God. Three of those four people were women. And I said, it was women, not men, but women, that decided to step in and say, you know what? This little life right here is worth saving. This little life right here can be something. This little life right here could change the world. And it's going to be hard to hide him, but we're going to do it. And we're being, we're, we're afraid of the Pharaoh, but we fear God. <laughs> and so whatever the hardships are, whatever the pain is, whatever the dangers, the real dangers, we're going to save this life. We're not going to discard it. We're going to save it. And because they saved it, saved Moses, we have a Bible. We have, we have a man that influenced probably second to Jesus, the Apostle Paul. Uh, Western civilization as a whole. <laughs> uh, the world would be very different had Moses never come down from the mountain with, ten tab- with two tablets and ten commandments. It would be a very different world. But as I was talking to Brother Robert, uh, of course, we all know if you've met him, he's, he's mature in age. So he remembers a time when things were very hard here in the United States. But, you know, Brother Robert said, I thank God for my mom. He said, when my when my father left, he said my mom stayed and she just kept plowing and she just kept working and she just determined that she was going to have a better life for us. And it was hard and it was heartbreaking. But God was good. But God was good. The men were gone, but God was there. The funds ran out, but God was there. I promise you, and I, it's, it's as uncomfortable for me. I, I don't even know how to tell you. I, I don't even like talking about stuff like this. Maybe I'm superstitious and need to be delivered. But I believe it with all my heart. That when we're going through it, God will be right there. God will be right there. I think perhaps for myself, I've had some dark times, but I remember one time that I really did not enjoy. I mean, I really, it crushed me. Was when my wife got really sick on us. The doctors told her she just needed to have a quick two-hour surgery. And before we knew it, she was in ICU. She was losing blood and the the doctors didn't know. I'm the one that actually caught it. 
And um, I just remember being in the hospital and just being very afraid. We hadn't been mar married very long, and I think Ayla was maybe one. And I just remember not sleeping for almost 48 hours. And uh, I remember driving home. Uh, Sister Harris had come over to, to watch my wife. And I just remember crying, as tired as I was, just crying all the way home. And I was just so tired and just... But as I was sitting in the hospital and, and the trial was coming to a close, my phone started ringing. I, I, I never share stories like this because I... I don't know if it interests anybody, and it, and it could seem kind of controversial to some. But I was, I was preaching a revival at the time, and there was a man. Uh, I, I lived off my evangelistic ministry. I was a full-time minister. And uh, I had told this particular pastor that I couldn't make it to church because my wife was, her operation got bad. And she lost almost all the blood in her body. And I wasn't going to be able to make it to church that night. And she's in ICU. And so um, I had already preached several services, but because I didn't show up that night, he, he, didn't, he didn't give me an offering. And the exact amount of money that he didn't give me for not showing up because my wife was in the hospital was the exact amount of money that I was short on paying the rent that month. And I went home that night crying, but I knew that we were, we were coming out of the, the, the woods. I knew that my wife was going to be all right. It felt like God had talked to me. And as I was coming down the road crying, a man called me. And he said, Brother Prado, he said, I've had you. I'll tell you who it was. It was Brother Rick Mayo. Amen. Uh, good elder. He's my elder. He's on the board of elders of this church. And I remember Rick Mayo calling me. He said, Brother Prado, I've had you on my heart all morning. And he said, is everything okay? And I just sobbed and I just wept. I didn't play the, yes, everything's wonderful. Jesus is God. I didn't do that. Um, and though I believe that, and that's silly, I, I hope I don't have to preface that. Yes, I believe Jesus is God. God is great. But no, I'm afraid. I've been afraid for the last 48 hours that my wife is going to die. I'm afraid my wife is back at the hospital. She, just, she was screaming all night. I'm afraid I have a one-year-old. I didn't think life was going to be this way. I'm afraid everything is not okay. He said, well, this morning I just felt like God told me to send you a check. He said, I already mailed it out. He said, I'm just calling you right now. Let you know it's in the mail. And it was the exact amount of money I needed to pay the rent that month. Hallelujah. That's how good God is. Hallelujah. And, and, and I, I can't even, I, I, I won't even go into the details because by the time I made it back to the hospital and I was sitting next to my wife, who was, I knew the trial was over. You know, I knew the trial was over because all of a sudden a new nurse came in and she was so different than all the other nurses. And then the guy that was cleaning our, that came in to clean my wife's room was a church guy from, from, uh, he was going to first church in San Jose at the time. And just, it seemed like the whole room just started filling up with just God moments. Hallelujah. And all of a sudden I just looked down at my phone and my phone started ringing and all kinds of people were calling me and texting me. You didn't even know what I was going through. And, and some of the biggest doors in my life opened up right there in the hospital hallelujah some of the most impactful moments of my ministry in my life happened right there I and the last thing I remember was reading a text looking out the window as the sun was coming up on two or three hours of sleep my wife was passed out hallelujah amen but but God was there God was there God was working and I just want to encourage somebody don't talk like the foolish talk that's not you 
Hallelujah. You're a child of God. Talk like a child of God. Amen. No matter what you're going through, and maybe your trial's not that big. Maybe your trial is someone took your parking spot today. But don't talk like a fool. Hallelujah. Go ahead and go ahead and talk it up and praise God and worship God. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Missy, when you're getting married, trust me, a lot of things will go wrong right before you get married. Praise God. Amen. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. It happens. It happens at our wedding, your wedding. Everyone's like, hell. You'll feel like you're going nuts. Praise God. But God's good in those moments. Hallelujah. Sister Harris, amen. Your trials, amen, will come to an end. Hallelujah. And we talk right. Amen. And we talk accurately. And you know what the most accurate thing you could ever say is God is good all the time. Hallelujah. Let's give Jesus a great name. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. We love you. We thank you for coming out tonight. Amen. We will see you on Sunday at 11 a.m. 10.30 prayer, 10.15 if you want a good chair. Hallelujah. And we'll see you. Amen. Hallelujah.